Welcome to a special episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, along with Brady Boyd, Glenn Packiam, and Daniel Grothy. And I think as we all know, or if we haven't heard, you're hearing it for the first time, we lost one of our great ones this week. Earlier this week, Eugene Peterson, author of 35 or so books, and an example to so many of us, a church father, I think a modern church father, uh, passed into his rest. He's almost 86 years old. And uh, all of the reports say that he passed peacefully and wide-eyed into the next life. And it's a sore loss for us, I think, for so many reasons. But he's laid down a legacy that I think deserves to be followed. He's had an impact that's almost impossible to overstate. And so we wanted to take some time in this podcast to talk about Eugene Peterson, what he's meant to us, and what we have hope for mm. <laughs> that we'd be able to carry forward into the future, either in our own personal ministries or just to see the church in America carry forward. So I want to get this conversation started with my colleague, Daniel Grothy over here. Daniel, all of us over the years have had interactions with Eugene, but I think actually our interactions with Eugene began because you had a relationship with Eugene. And so why don't you take us into your story with Eugene, how you got to know him and the kind of impact that he's had on your ministry? Yeah, well, we uh, we went through some trauma as a church uh, many, many years ago. And on one Monday morning, it was a day off for me. My wife was teaching. We didn't have children at the time. So I just had the Monday to myself, a holy Sabbath. And I go to Goodwill, looking through the used books, see this book up on the shelf. It says Peterson, the contemplative pastor. Hmm. And I pulled it off the shelf and I thought, I think that's the guy who translated the message. So I took it down, it was 99 cents, went up front, bought it, went home, had the whole day to myself and sat down and read the whole thing that day. I think yeah. it's a, something like 171 pages. I've got it here on the shelf. Mm. Uh, just started tearing through the book. And I had grown up in a pastor's home and I had seen my parents live as local church pastors, but I hadn't heard pastoral ministry articulated on the page like this. Yeah. Long obedience. Uh, he talks about pastoral ministry being local and personal, yeah. pastors being unbusy and subversive and apocalyptic. And it just, it woke me up. Yeah. And I thought, who in the world is saying this? Why have I never heard this right. before? So I wrote Eugene a letter that day for two things, to say thank you for the work you've done. Your work is being uh, received. And can I spend a day with you? Because mm -hmm. I, I would like to pick your brain. I'm a young pastor at a church that's been through difficulty and sent it to Nav Press, his publisher, not expecting I'd ever hear back. I didn't know where he lived. Well, long story short, I go to the mailbox a couple weeks later, and there's a letter from Eugene. I've got it right here. Amazing. And he said, sure, I'd be willing to spend a day with you here in Montana, but not so fast. Yeah. <laughs> and thus began the long journey of interacting with Eugene. So he found me at a time, I found him at a time, and he said yes to me at a time when I was a young, impressionable pastor yeah. who needed someone to show me the way. Mm -hmm. And I needed someone who was 76 to see that you could live. Yeah as a pastor in God's church and be faithful over the long haul. Daniel, I've heard your story with Eugene a lot of times, and I like it more every time I hear it, I think. But tell our listeners, what was the not-so-fast that he threw at yeah. you? I want to unpack that for us. Yeah, what what did he him, need to hear from you? I, I told him I was in a large church, and I'd been in a large church my whole life, and unapologetically. And he wrote back to me, I think trying to sift me, because he you know, he gets lots of letters. Right. And so I think he was trying to run me off if he could. And, <laughs> and if he could run me off in that first letter, he would know and I would know that it wasn't worth it. 
So he said, yeah, I'd be willing to have you, but not so fast. I want you to yeah. write three-page paper on what is church, three-page paper on what is pastor, yeah. to see if we even have enough common ground to begin a conversation. And he said, I doubt you could uh, fit a day's worth of conversation with me into your own context. You know, so he, And if you come, I don't want it to be a touristy yeah, visit. Right, right, right. Like he's throwing down the gauntlet. And I'm, I'm actually being soft with what he said in the first letter. Wow. So I thought, well, Eugene's not in a hurry. Everything is snail mail with him. I'm not going to be in a hurry to write these letters. Mm. So I took a month and wrote the six pages, sent them off to him. He called me back and we were off to the races there. But yeah, he was he was trying to, I think, run me off right away to see, <laughs> see if he could. It's so funny. Eugene, I think, is like that, that he's careful. And this is what we're learning, I think, even this week, as we're seeing so many of the tributes come out, that he was careful in relationship. So who do you let close? But he let an extraordinary amount of people mm-hmm. close to him mm-hmm. and really disciple the whole generation of pastors here. So I want to shift gears maybe a little bit here and just, and I'll bump it right back to you, Daniel, and then get some interaction from Glenn and Brady. You've got 10 years now of interaction with Eugene under your belt. That'll mark you for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about the couple, two, three things from his ministry and his way of life that have most marked you and that you're carrying forward in your ministry in some way? First of all, I think is generosity of spirit. The man is a pastor, is a pastor, is a pastor. He just takes people in. And he should have never said yes to me. When I look back, I just Mm -hmm. think there is no reason on God's green earth why he should have let a stranger in in the twilight of his life. He should have been off playing golf or something, hiking mountains. So his generosity of spirit letting me in, the guy is a freak of nature intellect. I mean, his yeah, writing, no, his reading. I mean, you, you sit with him and you realize this is a man who's been with the Lord and who's been in his study. Yeah. His commitment to the life of the mind. He would spend his morning 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. As he was a pastor for 30 years, he'd lock himself in his basement from 6 to 11, and he would read, and he would write, and he'd write poems, and he'd study, and he'd exegete the text, and he'd write letters to the congregants. He was with the Lord and his own mind for the first five hours of every day, and then at 11 o'clock, he'd walk up to the church and have open office hours till 5 p.m. So his commitment to, you know, like I saw someone the other day, they said, you know, People in, back in the day used to really do their homework, and now today we go, yeah, I read a blog about it, and I've got all these thoughts. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eugene spent yeah. 20, 25 hours a week diving deep, and after 30 years of doing that, yeah. he produced for the world. So his mm-hmm. commitment to not mail it in, to not fake it, but to do his homework mm-hmm. inspires me every day as a pastor to make sure I'm not cutting corners. Yeah. Uh, so those are a couple things just right off the top. Brady and Glenn, tell us, when did you first become aware of Eugene and your own pastoral ministry, and what do you feel like you're kind of, uh, where's the little Eugene angel on your shoulders always kind of chirping at you in your ears now? Well, I think most of us discovered Eugene when the Message Bible mm-hmm. was brought out because yeah. one of my favorite stories that Eugene would say about himself was that it took him 65 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> and, and quite honestly, the Message version of the Bible is what awakened all of us to this brilliant yeah. man. I mean, I'd never, I don't think mm-hmm. anybody had read the contemplative pastor, Working the Angles, yeah. Leap Over mm-hmm. a Wall, Holy Luck, any of those books. They were actually really poorly read. No one read them. Right. But suddenly the message version of the Bible 
introduced us yeah. to this guy and now awakened our curiosity about mm-hmm. everything that he had written. Mm-hmm. Then we, like I think most pastors listening to this, we couldn't get enough. Right. Yeah. We, we just read everything that was in front of us. I got a stack of books here in front yeah. of me that I right. just picked off my shelf that were really meaningful to me, That and I read all of them. You They're could drop beautiful. in at any page, and it's so rich, yep. every single one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the first one that I read, you know, besides the message, and I think it was Long Obedience in the Same Direction, yeah. right after our, the crisis and all that here yeah. at New Life. I mean, talk about a title that just sounded like the message I need, my soul needed, <laughs> a long obedience. Yes, please. Yeah. And then I read Run With The Horses. I can't remember who it was, that, but they said, this is the best book on discipleship. Mm. And, all, and and it was all on the book of Jeremiah. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, yeah, a weeping prophet in the wake of a scandal in a church in the transition. I thought, yeah, this is exactly the medicine I needed. Mm. So I, I was reading Long Obedience and Run With The Horses. And mm. then my publisher was kind enough to say, let me reach out to Eugene to see if he'll write a blurb on your book. So it was 09 that Eugene wrote a little something about secondhand Jesus. And then I, I knew Daniel was going out there, I think it was shortly after that, yeah. that you wrote to him. And and so I thought, well, I, I want to try to write to him too. So <laughs> I had read Under the Unpredictable Plan and uh, about the pastoral vocation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when I went out there in 2010, a lot of my questions were, Eugene, I'm seeing a description of the pastoral vocation mm-hmm. that is what I'm hungry for, mm-hmm. yeah. but I also don't know if it's really possible in my context. Yeah. And I wrote to him saying, can you just tell me, like, do I need to quit everything? Do we need to, like, become Amish or monastic? Yeah, right, or, yeah. right. Do, I, do we need to Withdraw. go to a small town? Yeah. My in-laws are farmers. Like, should we just go be farm pastors, you know? And, and the thing that stuck with me about the visit is he said, there is no perfect context Oof. in which to do pastoral yep, ministry. Right. And he described his own struggles, the the yep. mess that yep. the Presbyterian denomination was in his years yep. uh, there, yep. and even he growing up Pentecostal and then yep. being in a Presbyterian church. So I remember leaving from that actually more convinced than ever yes. that yeah. I was to be a pastor at New Life Church. My first flight out there, I was just trembling, thinking I was going to go into sort of mm. the ivory tower of the scholar, and I was going to get pistol whipped with the Bible Tor- and rebuked torn and, apart by the and guy. told, yeah. you know, you go find your 300 people so you can finally be a faithful pastor. Yeah. And what I found is the exact opposite. He yeah. asked me, tell me about how you've discerned your call to New Life. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about your church. What are the people like? Tell me about your history there. Tell me about your pastor. Tell me... And as he listened to me, he drew it out of me. I mean, yeah. he was he was caring for my soul like yeah, a good yeah. pastor does. And he says, sounds to me as if the Lord has planted you in a place, in that place for such times as this. Wow. And he said, what you have to know is, and again, he said to me, don't romanticize, no, don't idealize right. small There's church. No right. He said, yeah, exactly. he said the, the demonic activities happening there, there are just too, the same. Sure. He said, what you have to know is sort of the prevailing gods of your context, the idolatry that people will set up in your place, yeah. and you have to stand against it. But wherever you go, there will be idolatry. Yes. And wherever you go, there will be prevailing gods of the day. And so you just have to know. So go back into your church mm-hmm. and be a faithful pastor and lead these people into green pastures. So it was a, I did not expect to no, be encouraged. No, I didn't expect that either. Right. I didn't expect that either. And under the unpredictable plan is a reflection on Jonah, mm-hmm. you know, so, but it's his way of saying faithfulness to the vocation means calling people to repent wherever yeah. you are, but mm-hmm. you, but you got to know that context yeah. mm-hmm. and you got to know that soil and you got to know people's names. So the Eugene angel on my shoulder every day is, are you talking to actual people in your yeah, congregation right. today yeah. or are you doing this from afar? Yes. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the first Eugene book that really gripped me, I think, was Working the Angles. In mm-hmm. Working the Angles, for those of our listeners that don't know, Eugene talks about that pastoral ministry, there's a trigonometry, he says, yes. the pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. And pastoral ministry is attentiveness to God at three different angles. We listen to God in our personal lives, so in prayer, we listen to God in the lives of those people that are in front of us, and we listen to God in scripture. And the intersection of those three things is where we find faithful prophetic ministry. And I think what's been surprising and and heartening, and this is for a guy from a small church coming to a big church, is, is seeing how that scales. Yeah. Pastoral ministry is the same concern everywhere. Like you guys are saying, it doesn't matter if you're in a church of two or 300 Mm -hmm. or 3,000 or 30,000. It's still, the demand is the same. Can Mm -hmm. we listen to God? What is he saying in my soul? What's he saying to people in front of me? And what's he saying in the context of scripture? And I have found that, and this is a Eugene thing for sure, that the conditions of holiness to be able to live into the glory of God are always present mm-hmm. no matter where God places us. And mm-hmm. I just wish that more pastors would get that because there is a temptation to idealize. Well, if I was only at this kind yep. of a church or if I was only in a situation like Eugene was in, then I would be able to. Mm-hmm. And that is repudiated on almost every page. Every yeah. Yeah. The great thing about working the angles, he talks about the three lines of a triangle are the most obvious parts of a triangle right. of the lines. And so the exterior life of a pastor is the preaching and teaching and administration. But he says it's actually angles that yes. give yep. a triangle its shape. And yeah. if you get the angles wrong, the, the lines don't really matter. So our exterior life versus our interior life, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I, I think Eugene, what's missed in Eugene's story is that he pastored in suburban Baltimore. Right. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't like he was out in some forgotten uh, land in the yes. West. Right, exactly. He ended up there retiring. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) but he was in a suburban context. And I love the story of why he wrote the Message Bible. And, you know, he's gotten some Mm -hmm. criticism over the years for writing the message. It's not a dynamic text or whatever people would. And I I thought, if you knew the story of why he wrote the Bible, why Mm -hmm. he wrote the Message version in the first place, it made you appreciate it. But he wrote it for his little elderly Sunday school class (laughs) that wanted something on Galatians. Right, right. And so he rewrote the book of Galatians for a group of elderly women to have a Sunday school class. Then he realized that his particular translation was helpful to a lot of the young men and women who were coming to faith in his church who had drug and alcohol backgrounds, who had no scriptural knowledge at all. And they would get their hands on these translations and go, ah, for the first time, I can understand the Bible. Would you write us some more? So after he had written, rewritten several books and Psalms, a group of people found this. So what I find interesting about the message version of the Bible is he did it for the sake of his congregation, not to sell books. Right, yeah. And then it was almost like the Lord winked at him and said, okay, because you care about my bride and care about my people, I'm going to bless them. But all over the church, we're getting that backwards. We have people that are trying to write for the masses or preach for the masses, and they're missing the people right in front of them. If you can touch on the particular, you might just get to the universal beyond that, but pay attention to those people that are in front of you. And he wrote it reluctantly, year after year after year, this man found his Galatians translation and would call him, I'm an agent, I can. I, you yeah. need to translate, no, I'm a pastor, no, I'm a pastor. Well, he retires and he moves to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary for one year. He didn't have money and he needed a place to stay, so they gave him a, a writer-in-residence deal and he yeah. lived in a loft apartment above the library. <laughs> so he's at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary with Jan. The two of them are trying to figure out what their new lives are supposed to be like after 29 years in Bel Air, Maryland. And he's there, and finally he realizes, well, I I do have a little bit of time, and this guy calls again. Hey, you need to translate the Bible. And Eugene said, 
you know what? I'll give it the first 10 chapters of the book of Matthew. And if it works, then maybe I'll go with it. If it doesn't, I'm done. So he's, he's in the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary Library every day trying to translate the first 10 chapters. And he translates them and he sent them off to the guy who'd been calling him year yeah. after year. And the guy calls him back and says, this is the worst thing I've ever <laughs> read from you. This is trash. What are you doing? This is not the Eugene Peterson that I know. And Eugene said, I realized that I was here at this seminary and I was translating with the professors over my shoulder. And he said, so I took the 10 chapters, I threw them away and I went back to the drawing board and I brought my congregation back in my consciousness. The people that I knew that were named and the people whose homes I'd been in, the people who were recovering alcoholics. And I started translating Matthew chapters one through 10 for those people. I sent them off to the guy and the guy called me back and said, now we're talking. And he was off to the races and he spent two years doing the New Testament and then three years doing the Old Testament. So again, a pastor translating for his people. And so much was he a pastor. I always love this story about Eugene too, that when Bono asked him to tour with them, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. he goes, well, no, I'm translating Isaiah. They go, wait, it's Bono. He goes, oh, it's Isaiah. You know, like pastoral ministry, the integrity of pastoral ministry. Don't get caught up in the hype. And if we learn nothing from Eugene, at least that. How to say no to Bono. Yeah, how to say no to Bono. I I was there once and, and, and Jan goes, Eugene, tell tell Daniel what you just got. And he's, and he goes, what are you And she said, tell him wh- what invitation you got, Eugene, he'll care. And he said, well, you know, Bono invited me to his vacation home in the French Riviera. And I said, what? I, I said, what did you say? He said, I told him no. I said, why did you tell him no? He goes, I like my own bed. <laughs> yeah. What do I need to go to the French Riviera for? I like my own bed. And he lived on in right, 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 right. a beautiful yeah. place in Montana yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was just simply gorgeous. A house that he had built with his dad yeah. in 1941, I think, yeah. and built it and lived in it and could have lived anywhere in Montana. Anyway. I mean, he did well. Eugene did well uh, with his books. Mm-hmm. The last time we were there, I was there with him. We were having lunch, and we had spent the whole morning mm-hmm. talking about church, and we had done some recording with him. And I remember going to this little restaurant. The Tamarack. We the Tamarack yeah, restaurant, yeah. and he ordered potato soup. Yep. <laughs> and we were all starving, and we were younger then. Pounding we burgers We were and eating fries. burgers and fries. <laughs> and he had potato soup in front of him, and I said, Pastor Eugene, are you not hungry? He goes, and this is such this is my recollection yes, of that yes. day. He goes, you know, he said, Brady, I'm at a point in my life where I can afford to eat anything I want. I just don't have the appetite for yeah. it. <laughs> That's right. And what he was eating was all he needed. Yeah. What a profound yeah. thing. What a profound totally. thing. Yeah. Eating potato soup at a moment in his life where he could afford anything on the menu, the only thing he really wanted was potato soup. And I just thought, my goodness, what if we could all end that way? Right. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Get to the finish line where the no world kidding. did not own us, mm-hmm. yeah. where we actually had mastered our soul and allowed Jesus to be Lord. And that was the fulfillment of his Ma- life. I maintain think. the simplicity of spirit that we began with. Last summer when I was with him, it was clear that he was beginning to land the plane. You know, yeah. he, his life was coming to a close and he was... Even though he's been saying for years, I'm preparing to die. I'm preparing first time we met him. Yeah, I'm, I'm preparing to die. I'm getting ready to die. Here he is now about to turn 85 last year and I'm sitting on his back deck. He's got a beer in his hand and we had just been kayaking and he's... You know, he didn't talk much. Mm. Jan, you know, said several times, I just wish the boy had more to Mm. say. 
And so we're sitting on the back deck and long stretches of quiet and we're enjoying each other. And he's going back to root memories of, of his dad and him building this house and his dad being a butcher and his grandpa. His grandpa was an alcoholic and at times he'd be clean and then at times he would relapse and they'd get a call from the local bar and his dad would get in the truck and go pick up his grandpa mm. and bring him back. And he said, I remember when my grandpa lived here with us and he would teach me how to work with my hands. And so here's a man who the world now is aware of him. Yeah. He can do anything he can go anywhere, but at the end of his life, the things that matter to him the most are his root memories yeah. of his people, Amazing. his congregation, a simple life. And if Eugene embodied anything, it was a simple life lived before God yeah. and uh, a, a quiet faithfulness. Which is why he wouldn't want to go out and speak at places. He would rather have you in his own home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say the, the great gift for us of, of having been there is to see that you're invited into a different kind of life, a different mm-hmm. pace of life. I yeah. remember, Daniel, you warned me before we got there. You mm-hmm. said, now, you, nothing is in a hurry with Eugene. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't be thrown off by the long pauses or whatever. And still, the first question, I went out there with Aaron Stern, who pastors up the highway here in Colorado in Fort Collins, and, and Aaron and I are sitting on the porch, and he looks at us and he goes, well, who do you read? you know, and we're throwing out a few names and there's no response back. Like yeah. he's not a, you know, no. he's not going to fill in the gaps of the conversation yeah, yeah. for mm. you and just thinking, oh no, we've done it. It's over now. Yeah. <laughs> he would say busyness is an illness of the spirit yeah. or yeah. busyness is violence against time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those phrases like that makes you just mm-hmm. want to take a deep breath. And yeah. take, you know, he would have his yeah. liturgical nap every yeah. day. Right. Yeah. You know, when I heard that, I thought, well, that's just not possible. Yeah. You just can't live the life that we're living. And, right. But I think you can. You can. And I think that's been the profound impact on all of us here, yeah. not just theology and yeah. uh, his readings, but the way he lived his life, the pace at which yes. he lived his life has greatly impacted me and I think for all of us. And i tell you another thing. We live in an age where there's just very few men ending well, yeah. ending their life well. Yeah. And he was such a father. I mean, there were so many things you can learn from him. Yeah. But the thing that he imparted to us was this fatherly pastor presence in our lives. There's just so few men today who've gotten into their 80s, who are still in love with Jesus, who are finishing the race well, who are willing to lay hands on the next generation and send them out. And he was one of those men, and we are going to miss him dearly. A long obedience in the same direction. Daniel, I want to give the final comment to you. You knew him better than any of us as we go forward without St. Eugene by our side. What are you most eager to see us, the church in America, carry forward into the future? What part of his legacy do you want to see us live well? The last time I was with him, I told him of the New Life Church that was when I first wrote him. And then I told him of the New Life Church that is today. Mm -hmm. And I told him over a decade of him becoming one of our chief rabbis around here, if you will, We've read his stuff. We've embodied his work. We've asked questions. We've we've channeled our inner Eugene in many <laughs> many critical yeah. moments along the way. Yeah. And you've got to have someone to be able to channel. You got to be able to ask the question: What do you think they would say in this moment? Yeah. Eugene is a man who said, you know, the local church is not a glamorous thing. Mm-hmm. The local church does not run on adrenaline. Mm-hmm. 
And so I told him the story of the transformation and, and the journey we've been on as a church that we've got six congregations all around town that are all pastored locally and yeah. personally. Yeah. And yeah. our senior pastor made that decision because he's been reading Eugene. Yeah. We, um, uh, we're rooted in the community. We're serving in a way that we, you know, we're, we're not a church that are looking for all the, the celebrities. We're a church that are looking for the poor and the broken and the drunks and the yeah. addicts. And that's because we heard Eugene tell us that, you know what, the church churches for the poor and for the needy. And so we're living this way. So I was able to sit in front of him at the end of his time and say to him, I want you to know the church that we've become. I want you to know that the church is listening to you. Oof. And so my, my challenge to all of you out there is to buy, if you've never read Eugene, buy Eugene, read his stuff, fill up your bookshelves with his stuff. If you've read Eugene, uh, dust it off and pull it out. And, and there's something about someone who's lived 86 years, a long obedience in the same direction, who can provoke us young ones in the faith back to faithfulness. This is a man who didn't care about the celebrity and the, the legend that he became. And because of that, I think God knew he could trust him with it. So I'd encourage you to, uh, to become a disciple of Jesus and read some Eugene Peterson and let him provoke you to more faithfulness in the local church. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Mm-hmm.